What is up, college lacrosse fans? This is our sixth episode of the uh, Saturday College Lacrosse Recap Show, where we recap the games, typically from Saturday, but we'll dip into a little bit on Friday, and we'll get into some of the games that are being played today if we end up having the time. As always, be sure to like and subscribe and hit the notification bell if you'd like to be pinged in your pocket when we put new videos up. We are, uh, as also... Just an FYI, we're one-taking these from now on as we work towards putting out a live show every Thursday and every Sunday morning. So bear with us. We're not going to cut things together like we used to. I might ramble a little bit more as I get used to just rambling on, you know, in one shot without taking take. So let's get into this, though. Lots of games to watch. first game that I wanted to talk about was the game that was nearest and dearest to my heart was uh, Syracuse hosting Hopkins at the Dome. So Syracuse ends up pulling it out. It was a little bit scary. Hopkins, you know, kind of ran the game early and at halftime Petromala had warned the Hopkins team that Syracuse is going to come out and go on runs. That's what Syracuse does is they're a team just that, that lives off of runs. And he was correct. Syracuse comes out, plays insanely tough, in the second half, they pull out the 14 to 10 win against their bitter rival at the dome. Cuse improves to three and two. Hopkins drops to two and three. Big story was Jacob Buttermore played awesome. Kids sniped some shots from outside. He goes for three goals. Peter Durth, normally a defensive midfielder who's fully capable. I mean, the kid's an offensive talent and came into Syracuse, an excellent offensive lacrosse player, but has been relegated to playing defense, uh, defensive midfield and has done an incredible job. He comes out, uh, you know, this year as a captain of the team and uh, against Hopkins, two goals, one assist. So that was pretty incredible. Jamie Tromboli factored heavy. He ends up having a really nice uh, shot. Uh, his prototypical alley dodge uh, goal, and then he also scored a man-up goal, I believe was his other. He goes 2-1. and one. Brad Voigt has been his usual off-ball self, two goals. Brendan Curry, 1-1. One and one. Rafis is continuing to look a little bit better, and, and he's continuing to draw more slides. He goes 1-1, one and one, and it j the list goes on. Another great goal was uh, after, I think it was Buttermore. Somebody gave, uh, gave Syracuse a one-goal lead. I believe it was Buttermore. And then our boy Brett Kennedy, the long pole, the, the ginger sensation, he comes down, scores a sniper from outside. The shot was uh, straight fire. He uh, gives Syracuse a two-goal lead, and then they rolled from there. So that was great. Hopkins was quiet. Uh, their usual suspects didn't factor. I thought that might be the case. One of my keys to this game for Syracuse was if they could control Joey Epstein's dodging and Hopkins midfield dodging, that they were going to be able to contain Kyle Marr and Cole Williams as well. And they did that. Kyle Marr goes for two goals and an assist. Joey Epstein, they held him to two goals. Uh, Concanon, two goals. Forey Smith, a goal and an assist. Keogh, a goal. Cole Williams, just one goal. So that was huge in Syracuse's win. Goal, goalkeeping play. Uh, with solid out of both, Drake Porter goes for 13 saves uh, versus 10 goals against, and Darby, uh, the wee man in cage for Hopkins, he goes for 18 saves, 14 goals against, but both of them 56% save percentage. So excellent goalkeeping out of both teams. It was a ridiculously uh, incredible game to watch. Hotly contested. The crowd was into it. So hats off to both teams, but Syracuse, woohoo! Uh, the next game we are going to do. I don't have stats for it yet um, for the players, but I, I did watch it, and we'll have some highlights that I can show you here. Uh, Notre Dame and Denver. Notre Dame gets the huge win. Both teams travel out west. Uh, they get. I believe this was supposed to be Denver's 
home game and they give up their home game to go out West and play. I know that, that the officiating was subpar, at least per the coach's demeanor. Corrigan uh, was pretty upset as was Tierney through most of the game at the officiating, uh, but the field looked good. The teams looked good. Uh, Notre Dame improves to three and one Denver drops to four and two, but 10, seven victory for Notre Dame. That's huge. So they come off a, a home win against Maryland uh, which was, you know, I, I think Maryland was number two or three at the time. And uh, now here they go on the road, have to play at 10 o'clock in California. Well, yeah, 10 o'clock in California, 10 Eastern, seven o'clock in California time. And they beat Denver. So, I mean, that's another huge signature win for Notre Dame. And, you know, because I'm a Syracuse homer, what it means for Syracuse is their strength of schedule is just that much tougher for when they beat Notre Dame. <laughs> you know, all you Notre Dame lovers. Let's see what you say to that. So anyway, great game. Uh, they, the telecast wasn't bad. They streamed it live on YouTube, and uh, that looked good as well. So they did a great job with that game. So hats off to both teams. But Notre Dame, you are playing tight. Brian Costabile, you are playing really good lacrosse. Gleason has been uh, tough for Notre Dame as well. So they're they're starting to look strong now after that tough loss to Richmond that they had earlier in the year. Next up, Albany hosting Maryland. And this game did not have the feel of these these games of past uh where last the last two seasons this has been a, a, a hotly contested battle a a hugely anticipa anticipated uh battle maryland just handling their business quietly as they have been they come away with a 14-9 win so maryland improves to six and one on the season and albany drops to one and four uh, listen albany's play they play a really tough schedule so i mean they've got losses to syracuse to maryland um to cornell so, I mean, it's not like these guys are playing cupcakes. Three of their four losses are to quality opponents, and I forget who their fourth loss was, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a cupcake either. So don't count them out. They played without Nanakoke again. Two things to clarify with Nanakoke. First, he was not apparently suspended uh, last weekend. Albany apparently sat him out as a precaution. Marr said what he said. I think Marr knew what he was doing. I don't think he's going to apologize for what he said uh, in terms of just throwing the NCAA under the bus, but... The reality was he wasn't suspended. Once the NCAA was notified, he, they immediately pretty much same day ruled that he was okay to play, and he did play in the next game. I think they played somebody Tuesday. So uh, the NC, I, I, someone from the NCAA actually hit me up on Twitter to kind of try to correct me on that, so I just wanted to clarify that aspect of it. He didn't play against Maryland yesterday either, and no one knows the real reason. Marge just said it had something to do with a team issue. Uh, a reporter from Albany made it sound like he got hit in the face with a ball without his helmet on at practice. He said he witnessed the aftermath and heard the shot. So that might have that might have played also. Who knows? But Maryland played well. Uh, Jared Bernhardt starting to find his groove now as this team's number one. I say that figuratively and literally, being that he's wearing their number one. Um, he, they're starting... I think one of the unique things for Bernhardt was trying to figure out where he fit on the field and where he was going to be most effective. Like Kelly, uh, who wore number one the year before, he was versatile. He could he could play out top, he could play at X, and they're starting to try to figure out how to get Bernhardt worked in in similar ways with these young guys like Wisnowskis and DeMeo and Fairman. And it's starting to work. The last two games, he's looked really good. He looked really good against Maryland, and they're they're mixing it up. They have him behind the cage, dodging from X. They have him playing a lot of off ball. They have him um, dodging from wings and from up top. So he's starting to find his groove. He goes three and five on the day, which was incredible. Dubik goes for three goals. Wisnowskis two and two. DeMeo two and two. Fairman two and one. So their balanced attack just keeps rolling. Uh, Dolan looks solid in cage. He goes 50%, nine saves, nine goals against. 
Albany. Uh, Mitch Laffin, he's he's been playing tough. Three goals. Jacob Patterson, two goals. So with Eccles, a goal and an assist. So without without Nanakoke, they're going to have a hard time. But honestly, the two games so far that they've played without Nanakoke, they haven't played bad. So let's not throw Albany under the bus yet. They they once they get into America East play, that's where they're going to start having shots at at trying to to pull a get a few wins pulled together in a row so hats off to 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 maryland for sure for once again bear you know putting a, a team away at the end albany had got back within two goals late only to have maryland rattle off uh three or four goals in a row to to put them out of out of their misery so great game by maryland next one rutgers princeton i had actually thought princeton would go down to would would go over to rutgers you know in-state rivalry i figured princeton would would handle them you know not by a lot but i figured princeton was going to come out with a a four or five goal win honestly i thought their attack would be too much for rutgers to handle but max edelman stood on his damn head 18 saves on the day for edelman against eight goals against he was a huge thorn in princeton's side uh rutgers had what navy didn't was a goalie standing on his head trying to keep this game uh, within reach for Rutgers, which he did. Um, Tommy Coyne leads the way for Rutgers, two goals and an assist. Uh, Adam Charlambides, two goals. Kieran Mullins, one and two. Ryan Gallagher, one and one. So their balanced scoring continues. And I, th- I feel like that's a, a theme throughout the nation right now in college lacrosse, at the D1 level at least, is that it, it, there's no longer just – I mean, we are seeing scenarios in which one guy does put up nine points, as we'll talk about in the Penn State game. But just the the, the depth – that all of these teams have. I think that's the big reason that these, you know, these traditionally mid-level teams are doing so well is they're finally starting to fill their rosters out similarly to the Syracuses and the Virginias and the Yales and the the Penn States and the Dukes. Uh, you, you see rosters that are just far deeper. So these teams are able to run with these guys a little more. Princeton, Chris Brown, three goals. Charlie Durbin, two and one. Sowers was quiet, two and one. That's a, a quiet game for him. Rutgers did an incredible job off ball. Princeton normally is going to scorch teams because of Sowers off ball, and and Rutgers did not let them do that. And then when they did get good looks, Edelman had stepped up to make huge uh, saves. So Princeton's going to be okay, too. They dropped to two and three, but they're going to get it. Maybe they won't be okay. I say that, but the Ivy League is brutal. Penn's tough. You got Yale. You got Cornell. So they do have to play a lot of quality teams now, and they're going to have to figure something out on the defensive side of the ball, but they are capable of being okay at two and three. Don't count them out either. They're capable of stringing together two or three wins in a row. Um, sorry to be sniffing. I've been have, I've been battling a cold a little bit here, so you're just going to have to suck that up. Uh, Rutgers, though, four and two, so they're looking solid, and that's going to be rough for the Penn States, the Johns Hopkins, the Maryland's, and the uh, Ohio States of the world having to play another an, another season yet again where Rutgers is going to come into conference play with a winning record and looking uh, very solid with a couple of wins over quality opponents. Next game, High Point, UMBC. Oh, my gosh, 17-4. I think it was at, at the freaking half this game. There was no defense to be played in this game. Even even uh, uh, Troutner only saved the ball at a 52% clip on the day. So, I mean, even he wasn't his usual self. But there was no goalkeeping pretty much out of UMBC's side. Uh, Chris Young for high point. He breaks the high point single game goals record by scoring seven goals in the contest. Ben Baker, he goes for four and one. Asher Nolting, who contributed heavily in both of their big days and in Baker and Young's big days, he goes two and five for seven points. Dalton Silver goes one and three, just a, once again, high point proving their depth 
is is key to their success so far. They're they're sitting at six and one and looking nice right now with some quality wins. UMBC not so much. They're one and four. You know, so they lose this one twenty two to thirteen, and it wasn't even that close realistically. Um, Zichelli, Zichelli, whatever his name is, two and one. Zach Callis, two and zero. Oh, uh, Frawley, two and zero. Oh. So UMBC, not not the toughest opponent. High Point's going to play, but man, did High Point make an offensive statement? They not only does Young get the the record for goals in a single game, but uh, High Point breaks their record for goals in a single game as a team. I think with uh, I think it was twenty before, and and they broke that with twenty two. Obviously, so great game by High Point. They are proving that they are for real, and don't don't count them out of anything. If these guys can keep stringing wins together, if they can handle their conference play between Troutner, guys like Young and Baker who are playing really tough, and then you got Asher Nolting who is this team's pimp. I I, I, I posit that Troutner could be considered this team's pimp, but maybe they got two pimps. Um, yeah, Asher Nolting just looks incredible. He's a he's a next level player, and they are really happy to have him running around the field for High Point. We get into. Uh, the rest of them, there's a bunch of games I'm just going to talk about quick to appease our loyal watchers that want me to talk about more games. Uh, Lehigh and Army. Uh, Lehigh gets a, a solid win over Army. That's uh, the second win for Lehigh over a ranked opponent. Connor Gaffney, their faceoff guy, he goes 18 to 23 on the day, uh, winning 70. He's won 70% of his draws on the season, so 18 to 23 isn't surprising, but it kind of is against a traditionally tough team like like Army, who's able to to play tough on the wings. So that was huge. Uh, Spence for Lehigh, he scores his second hat trick of the season, also. So that was a it was just a, a a hell of a game and a hell of an effort out of uh, out of Spence and more more importantly out of Gaffney. So Lehigh gets that huge win over Army. Army. Ohio State plays Hofstra. I bring Ohio State up because they're interesting. They're right now. Ohio State is sitting at what are they sitting at here? This is where the live part comes into play, where you have to deal with me trying to figure crap out. I've lost their. Okay, Ohio State sitting at six and zero, and they haven't played anybody. I, I say they haven't played anybody, but that's not entirely true. So far, they've got a win over Cleveland, uh, Cleveland State, who's played some pretty solid lacrosse. They got a win over UMass, Boston U, Bucknell, and Marquette. So, I mean, it's not like their wins are over you know quality ranked opponents, but their wins have all been semi-convincing. They've controlled those games, and they're against solid opponents. They can score with anyone between Myers, Jasinski, LeClaire, and Reed. I mean, those that's an offensive group of monsters right there, and they can fill it up as they need to. Any one of those players is capable of a five, six, seven-point game uh, when, when called upon. And uh, my, while Myers may be their leading scorer, Jasinski and LeClaire are both All-American caliber talents. So it's, they're, they're still a... Uh, offensively a pick-your-poison kind of team. Uh, Kersan and Cage, or Kerson and Cage, he's saving the ball at a 59% clip. I expect once they get into Big Ten play, that's going to drop a little bit. But watch out for Ohio State. They're 6-0. They're about to play. A lot of people complain that they're playing a cupcake schedule, but they're about to finish the season off with Denver, Maryland, Hopkins, Penn State, Rutgers, and Michigan over that stretch. So, you know, uh, that's a, a Notre Dame, I think, is thrown in there also. Uh, so don't front on Ohio State. They You will see once they get through this, I believe they have up next Denver and Notre Dame as their next two contests. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so that we'll see after those two games if they're for real or not. But I posit that they're for real. They just have to be able to get through the, re- the remaining part of their schedule, which is fairly brutal. And uh, Penn gets back to their winning ways over with a win over who the hell did Penn play? Where did I? I lost that one, too. Yeah, so Penn gets a victory over 
Villanova. So Villanova sitting at three and two after the loss. Penn was zero and three coming into this game, but they were very, very, quite possibly the 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 toughest zero and three team in the country is what I would say. I mean, they they have they played Duke and lost to Duke. Uh, they lost to Penn State, but they played admirably in in both contests. So Penn is a tough team. Uh, Sean, Sam Handley he leads them with four goals and three assists. If I'm not mistaken he's a freshman possibly maybe a sophomore but he's a young kid putting up seven points so that's huge uh they get a big goal uh, a big uh, uh game in cage out of reed junkin he goes 11 11 saves uh, versus 11 goals against and villanova led by connor kirst four and three so kirst has a big game as well great game good to see penn get in the win column once again, they're not happy. Penn isn't at being one and three going into the Ivy. And I've said it about the other Ivy league teams. They still got to play Yale and, and Cornell and all sorts of just brutal teams in the Ivy. The Ivy is tough almost all the way through. So they're not happy sitting at one and three. They're going to have to string some league league wins together. Um, but Villanova at three and two, they're, they're sitting pretty. So they'll be okay. And they'll be able to bounce back from this uh, without much problem. Friday night. I want to do a quick Friday night game, uh, Penn State against Cornell. Penn State, I was surprised. 1913, they put it on Cornell to a degree. Aseri, he wins 25 draws on the night, so he factors heavily in that trouncing. Re- uh, realistically, uh, Kobe Canise didn't have a good game at all. So Cornell, when they did have the ball, they were extremely efficient on offense because they had to be. And and that's one thing I've been surprised to see is teams like Yale, Penn State that are winning faceoffs at ridiculous rates and, and just dominating that possession battle. The teams they're playing, uh, being that their offensive possessions have a desperate feel to them, they haven't been folding. They've been they've been exposing uh, the Penn State defense, in this case, the Yale defense, where we need possessions, or we need quality possessions when we do get them because they're few and far between, and then they're shredding those um, those uh, the Penn State Yale defenses in those processes. So uh, Cornell's going to be okay too. You know, Penn State has a couple games on them. Uh, Cornell's defense isn't clicking, and Cornell is bad off ball, similar to how Syracuse played last year. So I would expect Penn State to be a really bad matchup for them with a guy like Grant Amat, and Amat goes for nine assists on the day, which is just kind of uh, silly when you really think about it and uh you know you you're just what are you going to do you got a guy like Amet just picking people apart on the backside so uh hats off to Penn State though for getting a huge win and both of them have to turn around and do it today today Towson is going to end up playing Penn State and Cornell is going to end up playing Jacksonville so Cornell they can get a bounce back win um or no scrap that see this is what what doing a one the one take stinks Cornell plays Towson today and Penn State gets to play Jacksonville so Cornell has another really tough test but Cornell can bounce back if they can handle Towson today far better matchup for Cornell I'm going to say because like I said Cornell's bad off ball Towson is not this feeding feeding crazy team that's going to beat you uh hitting crease uh guys on the crease and guys out top on the backside and things like that so Cornell matches up far better against Towson than they do against a team like Penn State so it'll be interesting to see how they how they fare today in that one but good luck to the to the big red because I've obviously I'm a upstate guy so I have no choice but to root uh, for the big red Towson they handled their business against Jacksonville to stay five and0 on Friday night so they beat Jacksonville 15 13 that's not convincing I had posited to prove they they belong at number one they were going to need a bigger win than they got over Jacksonville if they can handle their business against Cornell 
they remain number one anyway, so it doesn't matter. If Cornell beats them today, then we we see where Towson really stands. I, I, I picture Towson not being the number one. They're really not the best team in the country, in my opinion, even though they deserve that number one ranking right now. So they win today. They deserve the number one ranking next week. They lose to Cornell today. We're going to see them drop to four to seven, somewhere in that range, which will be deserving. Um, another game that was interesting that I, I I watched quite a bit of was Cleveland uh, State and Marquette. I was only interested in this game because Cleveland State has played some quality opponents tough, and uh, both them and Marquette are in that same same area. Marquette came into the game at two and two. Cleveland State came in at two and four, but they had played a tougher schedule than Marquette. So Cleveland State, you know, goes into Marquette. They have to play in that dome, and they come away with a seven five win. So Cleveland State's looking legit, and as they start getting into their league, their league play, we may see them pop back up above above 500. So uh, Nick Polydorus, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, two and zero. They Cleveland State spread their scoring out all up and down their rest roster. They end up getting a big game out of their goalie uh, Caleb Espinoza. He goes six saves against just one goal against, so he played solid and. Um, Chris Rolfing in cage for Marquette. He goes for nine saves, four goals against. It looks like both teams played two goalies, though. Uh, but it was a good game. It was a cool camera angle. As I showed you highlights, you've probably seen. Uh, it was cool. Cool camera angle from the Dome. A lot of people complained about it. I didn't mind it. I was just glad to be able to watch that weird off-market game that I was interested in. Uh, 